Hello, this is Angela from Team 3 and this is Sound News broadcasting from the Old Man Studio in Church Street, Portadine. The, this production is for week ending Saturday 20th of May. On behalf of everyone here on the Craig Avon Talking Newspaper team, welcome to this week's programme. The stories making the headlines this week are from the Portadown Times, is Council too slow for zero? And from the Lurgan Mail, Campus Clash aired in court. And so for our first story, we head to Jackie. Amid criticism from environmental campaigners, Armagh City, Banbridge and Craigavon Borough Council has confirmed it plans to present a draft of its net zero carbon roadmap analysis to councillors next month. Climate Emergency UK, a not-for-profit cooperative, has called on the local authority to get its act together and start taking its climate responsibilities seriously. Since 2019, the group has been working with councils and residents on how best to tackle climate crisis. It claims ABC Borough Council is one of under 20% of local authorities across the UK yet to publish an action plan to tackle the climate and ecological emergency. More than 80% of local councillors in the UK have now published an action plan, she said. AB and C Borough Council needs to get its act together. The local election is a perfect opportunity for concerned citizens to put pressure on councillors to take their climate responsibilities seriously. Only four councils in Northern Ireland published their climate action plans by September the 20th, 2021. They are Ards and North Downborough Council, Fermanagh and Oma District Council, Derry City and Strabane District Council and Belfast City Council. And from the Lurgan Mail, the campus clash aired in court with a judge pledging to give a ruling as soon as possible. A senior civil servant took the decision to close Craigavon Senior High School's Lurgan campus in line with long-established policy on sustainability, the High Court heard on Tuesday. Lawyers representing a prospective pupil at the Craigavon Senior High School, Lurgan Campus, are challenging the lawfulness of the step taken by the Department of Education's Permanent Secretary. But a judge was told that Dr Mark Brown was entitled to approve its closure in the absence of a minister. Tony McLean, KC for the department, argued that the school had been running at an annual budget deficit of 0.5 million, 
Referring to sustainability guidelines published 14 years ago, he submitted, this is about coherent and carefully constrained planning. No new ground is being broken. No new policy is being determined. Everything happens within the confines of the sustainable schools policy and settled position since 2009. Around 160 of Craig Evans Senior High's 650 pupils are taught in Lurgan, the remainder attending the Portadown campus. In December last year, Dr Brown approved an Education Authority proposal to shut the Lurgan site. This under the powers in the Northern Ireland Executive Formation Act which enabled senior departmental officials to take decisions in the absence of Stormont ministers. Amid opposition given voice during a consultation process, attempts are being made to have the determination squashed. The court was told closing the Lurgan campus would deprive a generation of pupils in the area of access to key stage four provision in their own community. It was alleged the Permanent Secretary's decision was flawed, lacked political accountability and should not have been taken. However, Mr McLeanan contended there are serious quality concerns. There are concerns about the nature of the accommodation and the curricular provision for those children, adding, this is a school that is running at a significant deficit of about 0.5 million per year and it appears to be unable to improve its situation. That is an enduring financial difficulty for the school. Mr Justice Schofield was told it had been the will of Parliament for officials to be able to act without an operational executive. The absence of a minister does not prevent a senior officer of a Northern Ireland department from exercising the function of the department during the period mentioned, he submitted, reiterating there is no new policy in play, there is an existing policy within which the permanent secretary is, take, is taking his decision. Reserving judgment, Mr Justice Schofield pledged to give his ruling as soon as possible. Following the hearing, Claire McKeegan Solicitor for the family taking the challenge said, It is our client's case that the decision to close this school should never have been taken by an unelected official. The overwhelming majority of those impacted by this school closure have been consistently clear and vocal that the proposed way forward of the Department of Ed Education Authority will deprive a generation of children with equal access to education services in the Lurgan area. And now for the rotochemist. During the week ahead, urgent prescriptions will be dispensed at the following addresses and we're going to start with Portadown. On Sunday, the 21st of May, the chemist is Eden Pharmacy of Bridge Street, Portadown, open from 11am to 12 noon. Then, from Monday, the 22nd of May, 
The chemist is Boots of Thomas Street, open until 7pm. No rota chemist in Portadown after Wednesday. Lurgan residents can collect prescribed medicines on Sunday the 21st of May at the chemist, which is Clear Healthcare, of High Street, Lurgan. Again, open from 11 to 12 noon. Then, from Monday, 22nd of May, <coughs> the chemist is Boots of High Street, Lurgan, open until 7pm. There is no rota chemist in Lurgan on Wednesday and no rota chemist in either of Portadown or Lurgan on Saturday. And now for the crime. An armed robber used a Stanley knife to threaten a member of staff at a Portadown off-licence before he made off with cash, police have said. A PSNI spokesperson said detectives are appealing for information following an armed robbery at an off-licence in the Thomas Street area of Portadown evening, Monday the 15th of May. Detective Sergeant Wilson said at approximately 8.45pm, a man armed with a Stanley knife entered the premises and threatened a member of staff before making off with a sum of cash from the till. He is described as being aged between 30 and 40 years old, approximately 5 foot 4 inches tall, of thin build and was wearing dark clothing with his hood over his head and a dark coloured snood covering his face. I would appeal to anyone who may have witnessed the incident or to anyone with CCTV or other footage that could assist with inquiries to contact detectives on 101, quoting reference 2140 of 150523. Police are appealing for the public's help with recovering a white Jaguar SE car stolen in Portadown. The theft of the 2016 vehicle with registration NL66DNY was reported to police on Saturday. A police spokesperson said, We need your assistance in locating this vehicle and bring the culprits to justice. The vehicle was stolen from the Meadows Shopping Centre Portadown at 17.48 hours on May 13th and was last seen on the M2 at Fort William outbound at 18.20 hours. If you see this vehicle or have any information regarding its whereabouts, please contact the police. A man who smashed decorative glass valued at more than £2,500 at Ma Berries in Portadown has been given a 12-month conditional discharge. Appearing at Craigavon Magistrates Court, Ashley Robinson of Drumnasoo Road, Portadown, pleaded guilty to criminal damage. The court heard the defendant, without lawful excuse, destroyed the glass in West Street Bar on January 15th last year. It was revealed the decorative glass smashed by the 23-year-old had been valued at £2,640. Robinson's barrister said his client had arrived in court with the full £2,640 restitution. District Judge Bernie Kelly said, I consider that to be a fairly substantial amount of money for most people, particularly in the current climate. Detectives from the PSNI's organised crime branch have charged a 28-year-old 
man after 20,000 euros was seized when police searched a lorry between Market Hill and Armagh. The man who was stopped on the Market Hill Road, Armagh, on Thursday, May the 4th, has been charged with a number of offences, including handling stolen goods, possessing criminal property, fraudulently using vehicle registration mark and using a motor vehicle without insurance. He is due to appear at Armagh Magistrates Court on May the 30th. Man accused in death crash case. A man has appeared in court accused of causing the deaths of a retired couple by careless driving on Porter Downs Northway. In addition to accusations of causing the fatal crash, which claimed the lives of John and Sylvia McKee in August 2019, Andrew McGarity, 57, is also accused of perverting the course of justice in the immediate aftermath of the crash. Standing in the public gallery area of Craigavon Magistrates Court last Wednesday, May 10th, McGarity from Lockview, Gawley's Gate in Achagallan, confirmed he was aware of the three charges against him, two counts of causing death by careless driving and one of perverting justice in that he allegedly destroyed an SD card from the, ca from the dash cam in his vehicle. The charges arise following a collision between the couple's Peugeot 108 and McGarity's Honda Accord on Porter Downs Northway on August 4th, 2019. Mrs. McKee, 72 years of age, died at the scene while her husband John, 74 years of age, passed away just over a week later. They had been married for 35 years. A prosecuting lawyer submitted there was a case for McGarity to answer, which was conceded by his defence solicitor. Although afforded an opportunity to comment on the charges and to call evidence on his, on his behalf, McGarity declined to exercise that right. Returning the case to Craigavon Court, Crown Court, for trial with the arrangement scheduled for June 8th, District Judge Bernie Kelly freed McGarity on his own bail of £500 with a prohibition that he is not to travel in the front seat of a private motor vehicle. Also, court hears of threats to ex-girlfriend. A Lurgan man only stopped trying to choke his ex-girlfriend when their two-year-old child walked into the room crying, Craigavon Magistrates Court heard on Friday. Peter Brady, 35, of Bayview Park, appeared before the court accused of threatening to kill Natasha Wells, assaulting her and causing criminal damage on September 25th last year. Miss Wells, the mother of Brady's child, died in December last year, just weeks before her brother, Shane Whitlaw, was murdered in Lurgan in the January of 2023. The court heard 
that on Sunday, September 25th, 2022, at approximately 6.20pm, police received a call from Natasha Wells reporting that her ex-partner, the defendant, called at her house and assaulted her before making threats to kill her in front of their two-year-old child. A prosecutor said police called to Carrick Drive Lurgan and spoke with the injured party who said the defendant had called at her house to discuss childcare arrangements when he suddenly grabbed her by the neck and put her in a chokehold. She stated she almost lost consciousness and the defendant only stopped when their two-year-old daughter came into the room crying. She stated that during the incident, Peter said to her, you know I'll kill you, you know I'll kill you. He then let go and ran out of the house. Upon arrest, he said, I wouldn't have grabbed her if she hadn't stabbed me. Police noted a blood smear on the living room floor and recorded this. On conveyance to custody, he urinated in the back of the police vehicle. The injured party in this case has sadly passed away. Brady's barrister, David McKeown, referred to the warts and all pre-sentence report saying, since the injured party unfortunately became deceased in December, her family has suffered considerable tragedy. He would have been quite closely associated with that family. Her deceased brother was the victim of a high-profile incident in January and is now deceased as a result of that. Mr McKeown said his client had been struggling and self-medicating, adding he has indicated that despite that he had that he was convicted in his absence and doesn't accept necessarily the facts, he is not intending to appeal. He had suffered a stab wound and police will confirm that and there was potentially a workable defence but he is keen to put the matter behind him so he can get on with life and I would ask you to give him credit for that. District Judge Bernie Kelly said, this was a nasty incident. You ran it to contest and you were convicted in your absence and, it is, and if it is any consolation to you, any suggestion of self-defence there was would not have worked insofar as choking is not a reasonable response. Trying to strangle somebody would never be considered self-defence. Taking into consideration your previous record, lack of anything of a directly relevant nature, although one entry that does keep repeating itself, might explain an awful lot about your underlying difficulties and they are covered in the pre-sentence report as well. He was handed down a community-based disposal, including a pro probation order of 18 months and a community service order of 80 hours. A district judge in Craigavon said she felt like locking up a defendant until he sobered up after he arrived drunk to court on Friday and caused a disruption. Paul David Hines, aged 44, 
from Margareta Crescent in Dunmurray appeared before Craigavon Magistrates Court on Friday, charged with criminal damage. The offences related to an incident when Hines was accused of damaging the window of a car belonging to someone else on March the 24th this year. District Judge Bernie Kelly said, I have known since shortly after 10 a.m. this morning that Mr. Hines has been in court. Do you know how I know that piece of information? Hines' solicitor said he had a fair idea and wished to apologise. Mrs. Kelly said, there's no point between G4S and Constable Hamill and this court, he has disrupted everybody this morning. Now, I am not quite sure how you get into that state by 10 o'clock in the morning, but he should not be coming to court like that and most definitely should not be causing difficulties for the staff and other persons who attend this court. The district judge ordered a compensation order for £600 in respect of the damages and gave Hines a conditional discharge for two years. If he ever has occasion to call at this court again and appears in that state, I will be remanding him in custody until such times as he sobers up at the very least, she added. A senior PSNI officer has urged everyone to stop and think about how they act on the roads after the number of associated deaths reached figures twice as high as the same period last year. The deaths of 22-year-old Jordan Nixon from McGabry and 30-year-old Connor McGurgan from Ballyclare take the numbers of fatalities on NI roads this year so far to 24. Chief Superintendent Sam Donaldson said, Tragically, 24 people have already lost their lives on our road this year. That is 14 more compared to the same period last year. I am asking everyone to stop and think about this figure for a moment. These figures are not just statistics. Every time you hear about a fatal or serious collision on the news, there is a family, a circle of friends and community plunged into mourning. A Craigavon area hospital patient who hit a nurse in, in the face and kicked her knee, causing her to fall, has been given a four-month jail term. Paul Conlon, aged 57, of no fixed abode, appeared before Craigavon Magistrates Court last Friday, charged with criminal damage and two counts of assault. A prosecutor told the court that on March 10th this year, at 8.05am, the injured party was a nurse on duty in the Dorsey Ward at the Bluestone Unit in Craigavon Hospital. The defendant was arrested in the unit and was involved in a disturbance with another resident, the prosecutor said. While the injured party was trying to calm the situation down, the defendant pushed her, striking her to the left cheek. The injured party was also kicked to the left knee, which made the injured party fall, causing her to hurt her back. Conlon's barrister, Mr David McKeown, said his client had been living with his parents but they could no longer handle him, adding that his client was deeply apologetic. Mrs Kelly explained that the point of being sorry was that you aren't going to do it again and his record would belie that. Any attack on members of the medical profession or indeed any auxiliary staff in a hospital setting, has to be so serious there can only be one penalty. Coupled with the fact he has spent some time on remand, she said he should get credit for the time served. 
Connolly was handed four months jail for each of the charges, with a £25 offenders levy to the first of those charges and with the sentences to run concurrently. Mrs Kelly said, Mr Conlon, if you assault anyone again, member of a medical facility or otherwise, you will go to prison for a longer period the next time I see you. And now for a few more stories from the work of the courts at Craigavon this week. <coughs> a deported man has been jailed for breach. A Romanian man has been given eight months in jail after arriving in Northern Ireland illegally and breaking a deportation order. Crispin Coman, aged 29, with an address in Canal Bank Street, Ballyconnell, Republic of Ireland, appeared at Craigavon Magistrate Court last Friday, accused of illegal entry into the UK. The charges relate to May 6th this year, when Coman, who is not a British citizen, is accused of entering the UK illegally in breach of a deportation order. District Judge Bernie Kelly said, Whatever I do with him today, he will be retained to be sent to that facility in Kent from where he will be deported back to Romania. A prosecutor said there was a deportation order in place. District Judge Bernie Kelly pointed out this was his third time doing this. His lawyer said his client was deported in November last year and he then returned to the Republic of Ireland. He was brought there to work in a car wash and at that time he was sleeping in a container. He then made his way across the border and has been sleeping rough. The lawyer added that the defendant who came to police attention after a report of concern from a member of the public also had issues with depression and alcoholism. Coman was given a five-month jail term with a £25 offenders levy. District Judge Kelly said that gives him credit for his plea of guilty. I am also going to invoke the suspended sentence imposed on November 7th to the full extent of the three months to run consecutively, making it a total of an eight months custody. A Lurgan man who smashed the window of his ex-girlfriend's home while still subject to a restraining order has been jailed for six months. Mark William David Kearns, 36, from Lime Grove, appeared before Craig Avon's Magistrate Court via a video link from McGabry Prison, charged with breaching a restraining order and criminal damage. He pleaded guilty to intimidating a woman on April 3rd this year when he was the subject of a restraining order and breaking a window belonging to the same woman on the same date. The court heard police were tasked to Kern's ex-girlfriend's home where she claimed the defendant had damaged her window. She provided footage from her doorbell which showed the entire incident. Police checks showed Kearns was the subject of a restraining order. Kearns solicitor, Mr John Paul McCann, said his client was an alcoholic and regretted what he had done. 
He is going to try and get accommodation outside the Lurgan area, said Mr McCann, asking that the judge deal leniently with his client, who had already been in custody for a significant number of months while on remand. District Judge Bernie Kelly said it's still in a domestic setting and committed literally. He must have done it soon after he got out of prison. For breaching the restraining order, Kearns was given a three-month jail term with another £25 offender levy for criminal damage. And he was given a six-month jail term with both periods of custody to run concurrently for a total of six months. And then finally from the courts, a man loses licence after failing to stop at a crash. An 18-year-old man has lost his licence after failing to stop at a crash he was involved in last year. Jack Barber of 72B Red Rock Road, Armagh, appeared before Craigavon Magistrates Court last Friday, charged with failing to report a damage-only accident, failing to stop, driving without due care and attention, and failing to remain at the accident scene. The incident happened on December 10th last year in the Wentworth Green area of Portadown. District Judge Bernie Kelly said she had viewed CCTV footage and said there was nothing to suggest Barber had been driving inappropriately for the weather conditions. But he did the one thing you are not supposed to do, she said. Whatever else he may have done, colliding with another vehicle, he failed to stop, remain and report. I know from his previous record he is not a very good driver to start with. Barber's lawyer said his decision to leave the scene of the collision was the wrong one, adding he simply panicked because of the precarious position his licence was in after five points were imposed at Craigavon Youth Court. The district judge said he was very lucky to have got five penalty points. Barbara's solicitor said his client now knew, after consultation, that his licence would be lost. This will impact on his independence, being an 18-year-old young man, and more importantly, his employment, the solicitor said. He is living in Armagh and working at a facility in five-mile town. His employment is obviously in a, per a perilous position. The lawyer said his client made full admissions to the failing to stop, remain and report charges and made full restitu restitution regarding the damage of £1,290 soon after. The district judge pointed out that she had dismissed the careless driving charge and if he had stopped and remained at the scene, the matter might not have reached the courts. He has only one person to blame for losing his licence because he chose not to man up effectively and accept the responsibility of his own actions. For each of the charges, Barbara was fined £100, which was a total of £300, with the offender's levy of £25 attached to the first charge, as well as five penalty points. And now for the local government news. An application has been lodged seeking permission to extend a commercial yard near Loch Gall. 
Armagh City, Banbridge and Craigavon Borough Council's planners are currently considering an application lodged by agent C. McElvar Limited on behalf of applicant Pat O'Neill to extend a commercial yard at lands approximately 200 metres northeast of 43 Summer Island Road. According to the application description, the proposed extension will be used for the storage of overspill plant and equipment. The application form notes the applicant owns land adjoining the proposed site that will be accessed via an unaltered access to a public road. Currently, no vehicle parking spaces exist on the site, which is described as a grass field, and there are no plans within the current proposal to provide any. Water will be supplied to the site via the mains and surface water will be disposed of via a soakway with foul sewage disposed of via a septic tank. The site is not within an area of known risk of flooding. Lodged on Wednesday, April 5th, the application was validated on Friday, April 23rd and its neighbour consultation period expired on Saturday, May 13th. <coughs> The application standard consultation date expired on Wednesday, May 17th, and it will be advertised until Friday, May the 26th. Armagh City, Banbridge and Craigavon Borough Council's planners are currently considering an application to demolish a structure in Cady to make way for two <coughs> two-storey dwellings. Lodged by agent DA Architects on behalf of applicant First Stop Properties, the application seeks permission to demolish a structure attached to number three Tassa Road, Katy, to make way for the erection of two two-storey dwellings attached to an existing terrace row. Permission is also sought for associated site works. The application form notes the site is currently vacant, having been previously used as residential dwellings. Two car parking spaces will be provided on the site should the application be approved. It also describes the two bedroom houses that will be built as intermediate housing for rent. Water will be supplied to the premises by the mains with both surface water and foul sewage disposed of via the main sewer. Lodged on Friday, April 7th and validated on Monday, April 24th, the application's neighbour consultation date expires on Friday, May 19th, with its standard consultation due to expire on Thursday, May 25th. The application will be advertised until the 3rd of June. Armagh City, Banbridge and Craigavon Borough Council are currently considering an application that seeks permission to retain commercial buildings and storage units on the outskirts of Armagh. Lodged by Agent McKeown and Shields Associates Limited on behalf of applicant Michael Largy, the application seeks permission to retain a change of use from redundant agricultural buildings to that of commercial use storage units at lands to the west and southwest of 48 Drumgall Road. The application also seeks permission to make improvements to the existing vehicular access and associated site works. According to the application form, the applicant owns the land and the storage units in question are in compliance with policy CTY 11. It also notes that while the construction of a new access to a public road will not be required, 
an alteration of an existing access to a public road will be needed. At present, there are six parking spaces on site, and if approved, the plan is to increase the number of parking spaces to 10. Water will be supplied to the site via the mains, and surface water will be disposed of via a soakway, with foul sewage being disposed of via a septic tank. Lodged on Wednesday, April 5th, and validated on April 25th, the application's neighbour consultation period expired on Thursday, May 11th, with its standard consultation expiring on Tuesday, May 16th. The application will be advertised until Saturday, the 3rd of June. Plans have been lodged with Arma City, Bambridge and Craigavonborough Council planners to bring a new petrol station to Portadown. Farad Enterprises Limited seeks permission to construct a petrol filling station and convenience store northwest of Kiligamain Road, southeast of Bachelors Avenue, and Bachelors Avenue with access into Kiligamain Road. Permission is also sought for the creation of a hot food prep area and deli counter, bulk fuel store, petrol pumps, canopy, right turning lane and associated site works. According to the application form, the site for which planning permission is sought is 0.3 hectares in size and the applicant owns or controls land, land adjoining this development. It also explains the site was previously occupied by three dwellings which were demolished around 2010. If approved, the development will require the construction of a new vehicle access to the Kiligamain Road and 36 car parking spaces will be created on the site. Water will be supplied to the site via the mains and any surface water will be disposed of via the main sewers. Currently, no vehicles attend this site on a daily basis. However, once the proposed development opens to the public, it is anticipated that there will be four staff vehicles, 741 visitor vehicles and 16 good vehicles attending on a daily basis. This total of 761 vehicles is expected to result in five employees and 1,125 others attending the site on a daily basis. A transport assessment form submitted as part of the application notes that the development is likely to generate 30 or more vehicle movements per hour, with the peak hour for the site estimated between 3 and 4 p.m. It also notes that the location to the de development is accessible by no non-car modes of transport from adjacent business residences. There are a large number of homes within the walking catchment area and a footway on both sides of the road as well as a bus stop on the Kiligamain Road approximately 200 metres from the site. However, in response to consultation on the application, Northern Ireland Water has expressed concern and advised the applicant to contact Northern Ireland Water directly to address issues including the presence of a public foul sewer within 20 metres of the proposed development boundary and a lack of public surface water sewer. 
While recommending the application be refused at present, Northern Ireland Water has said that subject to the applicant engaging with Northern Ireland Water as outlined, it may reconsider its recommendation. Lodged on March 28th, validated on May 3rd, Applications Neighbours consultation period expires on Saturday, May 20th, with standard consultation period due to expire on Friday, May 26th. The application will be advertised until Saturday, June 3rd. Factory extension proposed. An application has been lodged with the ABC planners to add a light industrial unit to an existing factory site in Craigavon. Lodged by Knox and Clayton Architects on behalf of applicant AG Power, the application seeks permission to extend facilities at 1 Charlestown Drive to provide a light industrial unit for the existing factory site. According to the application description, the building proposed for construction will be used for storage, assembly and powder coat painting of container units for transporting large generators of 800 kBA and above. The proposed development site measures 0.57 hectares and the application form notes the applicant owns or controls land adjoining the site. Pedestrians and vehicle access to the site will be provided via an unaltered access to a public road and there are 16 parking spaces already on site. Water will be supplied to the development via the mains. Currently four staff vehicles, two visitors, customer vehicles and three goods vehicles attend the site on a daily basis which results in 29 people attending the site. This was lodged on Friday, March 31st the application was validated on Friday, April 28th. The neighbour consultation period expired on Sunday, May 14th and the standard consultation period expired on Friday, May 19th. And now for the obituary and deaths in the community. Tributes have been paid to former Portadown teacher and multi-talented musician Barry Lynch who has died weeks after a tragic accident. Mr Lynch, who was a teacher in Drumcree High School, was a highly respected teacher and mentor credited with an encyclopedic knowledge of music. Although Mr Lynch lived in the Moy for many years, he was originally from the Pomeroy and Cookstown area. Heartbroken friends and former pupils shared their shock and sorrow at the tragic death of Mr Lynch, who has been described as a lighthouse of a man. Armagh Rhymers led the tributes to Mr Lynch. Heartbroken doesn't seem to cover how we are feeling today at the sad passing of our esteemed colleague and dear friend Barry Lynch. Barry has been the very fabric of our work in recent years and it is hard to imagine a world without him in it. His encyclopedic knowledge of music, impeccable style, contagious laugh and of course that glorious moustache brightened our days. Rhymer Annie June Callahan referred to him today as a lighthouse of a man, and we can think of no truer words. 
a beacon of strength and a shining light in this world. The outpouring of love from friends, audiences and colleagues in recent weeks is testament to a man who touched the lives of everyone he, he met. We join them in sending our heartfelt sympathies to his wife Siobhan, his beloved daughters Jane and Hannah, wee Cormac, the apple of his eye, his siblings and all his family and friends. We are richer for having known him and treasure every moment we had. May he rest in peace. One Craigavon musician described Mr Lynch as the most vibrant, positive, talented and interesting man I've ever known. Another musician said, I was deeply saddened to hear of the passing of Barry Lynch. Barry held a very special place in my heart and to me he was the exact definition of a gentleman. His smile would light up a room, his voice could fill a room with power yet with warmth and his accompaniment could sweetly blend into a session. And deaths in the community. Heron Robert Wilfred Wilfie, the 14th of May 2023, peacefully at Craigavon Area Hospital, late of Sandringham Nursing Home, devoted husband of the late Ina Elizabeth, cherished father of Trevor and the late Sharon, loving grandfather of Jake and Katie, also a dear brother of John, funeral service strictly private, family flowers only. Lappin Anna the 9th of May, 2023, peacefully after a short illness at Craigavon Area Hospital with her son at her side. Devoted wife of the late Jim, cherished mother of Kyle, loving sister of Emily and Gordon, and also a dear aunt. House strictly private. A private service of thanksgiving has taken place. Sinton, Margaret Jean, the 11th of May, 2023, peacefully at Banview Care Home, formerly of Thorn Heights, Banbridge and Armagh Road, Portadown. Devoted wife of the late Robert James, cherished mother of Pamela, mother-in-law of Paul, loving nanny to Danielle, Rebecca and Jenna. A service of thanksgiving has taken place. And this is information for those who may be interested in sighted guide training. Guide dogs offer free training for anyone who wants to feel confident when guiding a friend or family member aged 18 and over with a vision impairment. The training will enable participants to help their friend or family member get out and about and do the things they enjoy. This is a virtual group session where participants will learn or refresh the skills to guide safely with expert support from our staff. And participants can meet people in a similar situation for mutual support. It is a two hour session. Friends and family of those with sight loss will learn how to help your friend or family member get around the obstacles they come across every day so that they can get out and about with confidence. Get top tips for practical guiding, such as the correct grip to use, walking through narrow spaces, and how to detect changes on the ground and at head level. Discuss some of the emotional consequences of sight loss. Get an introduction to issues 
around access rights for those with sight loss, meet others with similar experiences with the chance to share knowledge and helpful tips with each other. <clears throat> this training is specifically tailored to the support network of an adult with a vision impairment and participants can attend either by themselves or with a group of friends and family. The person with sight loss is welcome to attend but does not have to. The sessions are delivered virtually but face-to-face -face sessions can be arranged if required. The training is suitable for adults and children aged 8, 12 years and over where the child is accompanied by an adult. To register interest for an upcoming session, visit the Friends and Family section of the following webpage, guidedogs.org.uk forward sighted guiding. Additionally, Guide Dogs offer an introduction to sighted guide training, a shorter one-hour session open to anyone aged 18 and over if you know anyone who would like to learn the basics of guiding an adult with sight loss, this session is ideal for those working or volunteering with the public. Information is via the same link or you can contact Guide Dogs on 0800 781 1444. And now for some sport. Glenavon have completed their first signing of the summer transfer window by landing the services of defender Bobby Dean. The 19 year old makes the move to Mournview Park after spending the season at Dergview. The left sided centre half had previously been on the books at Derry City and Lincoln City. Speaking to Glenavon's official club site, website, Lurgan Blues boss Gary Hamilton said that his latest arrival reminds him of Michael Glynn, who left the Lurgan Blues to join Larne in January. He's a big, strong boy who is technically very good. He was at Lincoln City when he turned 16, but unfortunately for him, COVID held him back and he's had a difficult time. And then Portadown Football Club has announced the signing of Ross Redman. The club's website notes that Ross, 33, who is 33, is no stranger to Portadown supporters, having spent over a decade at Shamrock Park, making 352 appearances for the club um, since his first team debut in 2007. The experience left back broke into the sports side as a teenager under his uncle Ronnie McFall and during his time in a red shirt made the left back slot his own as he lifted the championship and league cup in 2009. Ross would depart Portadown in 2016 to sign for Glentoran before subsequent spells at Dungannon Swifts and Ballymena United. The wing-back who has switched to centre-back by David Jeffrey at Ballymena United has made over 600 Irish League appearances during his career. Ross will make the move to Shamrock Park when his sky-blue contract ends 
he told Portadown Football Club. I am delighted to sign. When I spoke to Niall and Hensley, it was always in the back of my mind to come back here and I'm delighted to get it over the line tonight and obviously looking forward to the challenge in the championship. There was a large entry and great racing at round three of the Beyond Signage MRA Ulster Youth Championship at a sunny Tinker Hill. Lewis Spratt and Ethan Gawley extended their advantage in the BW85 and 65 Junior Championships respectively. In perfect racing conditions at the well-prepared Newry track, Spratt was unstoppable on the McCullough's Centra Todd's Leap KTM. The Oma teenager qualified fastest and romped to a 35-second victory over his nearest rival Alfie Hearn and Cole Nally in race one. Race two was another gate-to-flag win for Spratt, with Hearn claiming second after passing Ollie Holland in the early stages of the eight-lap race. Again, Spratt made the whole shot in race three, but a massive moment at the big jump on lap two nearly ended his race. Hearn claimed a comfortable second with Nally third. Spratt now leads the championship by 32 points as he heads to Fox Hills for round two of the British Championship. Elsewhere, Portadown's Ethan Gawley was unbeaten in the 65 junior class with three victories over Lisburn's Caleb Ross. It was Money Moore's Andrew Anderson on the redesigned Kitchen's Six Mile Autos KTM who claimed the Cadet 65 class overall. Anderson was fastest in qualifying and three second places were enough for the overall. There was also success for John McCann who ran out the overall winner in the SW85 class with a win and two thirds. Championship leader Ryan Jackson was fastest in qualifying he made no mistakes in race two, leading from gate to flag with Gibson and McCann finishing second and third. Jackson again hole-shotted race three, but McCann took the lead on the opening lap and led the race to the finish. Jackson pushed hard in second and in his efforts to make a pass for the win, slipped off on the last lap. He crossed the line in fourth behind Daniel Devine and James McCann. Jackson's aim for fifth win. A number of Portadown racers will feature in the hotly contested events at Tully Ronan Oval this weekend. There is a great programme of hot rod, stock car and banger racing at Tully Roven planned for this Saturday night, May 20th. The night will finish with the last car moving, Destruction Derby with the star attraction on track being Micro Bangers World Club, World Cup champion David Gurney from Londonderry. And in bowls. Lurgan A returned to the park last Saturday to play last year's champions Whitehead in weather perfect for bowling. Lurgan just lost out by three shots, going down 81 to 84, and were unfortunate to gain only a solitary point. In the NIWBA Championships, Mia Patterson and Doreen Whelan bowled extremely well on their home green against E. Foster and partner for Market Hill to win comprehensively by 24-7. They then went on to win away to Anne McKeever and partner at Dungannon. 
Dungannon 43, Lurgan 60. On Thursday 11th of May, Lurgan ladies set off for their first away match in Dungannon in the ANIWBA Senior League. The Lurgan win resulted in them beating Dungannon 60-43 to bounce them up to second place in the ANIWBA Senior League, just two points behind Portadown. Four teenage girls and their teachers are flying out to Tanzania in Africa to teach for two weeks at an overcrowded and poverty-stricken primary school. Caitlin Breen, Roisin Kantar, Shauna and Katrina Carmichael from Portadown and Mahari will be arriving in the Karongo Parish near Kilimanjaro on June 5th with teacher Mary Fox who is also mum to Shauna and Katrina. Friends since their first year at jo St John the Baptist College in Portadown, the girls now attending St Catherine's College in Armagh and St Patrick's Academy in Dungannon will be teaching at St Mary's Primary School in Corongi Parish. They will be travelling with Mary who organised the entire trip after initial contact with Frank Diamond who has been associated with St Mary's over many years. The rural areas are extremely poor. Roads are dusty, hilly and bumpy tracks. In Moshai, Christians and Muslims live peacefully side by side since Mary's Primary School is on the outskirts of Korongi, which has a population of almost 6,000 teachers. St Mary's School project began in 2016. Today there are over 500 children in both kindergarten and primary one to five. Numbers are growing each year and in a desperate need for the building of extra classrooms. Many schools are in need of basic teaching essentials. Numbers average 80 plus per class with one teacher. Children are taught in both English and Swahili as they believe English can be a way out of poverty. There is a GoFundMe page to build extra classrooms for children in Tanzania. Some schools have contributed so far, St. Patrick's Academy in Dungannon, St. Mary's in Mahari, plus lists more comprehensive in Craigavon. They have also collected used football tops and McKeever Sports is contributing footballs plus Music is being, tin whistles are being supplied. Cutting the first sod of the new £56 million campus for St Ronan's College in Lurgan was an exciting moment for staff and pupils eight years after the school was first established. Construction started officially last Friday at the 36-acre site at Corner Kinniger Road where St Michael's Grammar School once stood. Since the amalgamation of St Michael's with St Paul's High School and St Mary's High School, pupils have been educated at two sites in Lurgan, at the old buildings in Edward Street and Francis Street. Dr Mark Brown, Permanent Secretary of the Department for Education, and Archbishop Eamon Martin performed the ceremonial duties to start the project, for which the completion date is spring 2025. The new campus will be a 20,000 square metre facility of three storeys and extensive outdoor sports provision. 
it will accommodate upwards of 1,750 pupils. Dr Brown said it will bring the school together as one single campus and give everyone involved with the school an opportunity to further build their unique identity and ethos. I wish pupils, staff and school management every success as they set out on the next phase of their ambitious journey for their school. Principal Mrs Fiona Keane added, Sincere thanks to every single person who has helped us reach this significant milestone today. We are simply over the moon. The vision for the use of the new building is for full community use, a hub of learning, activity, creativity, sport and extracurricular pursuits, interests and hobbies throughout the day, into the evening and at weekends. We are a school at the heart of our community and community is at the heart of our school. Former Irish rugby captain Rory Best has set off on a 205-mile, 10-day trek across Ireland in a bid to raise £1.75 million for child cancer services. The rugby great said he felt in great shape as he set off from the Aviva Stadium in Dublin alongside 14-year-old Naomi Howland, who was diagnosed with cancer last year. This is his second mammoth walk in aid of the Cancer Fund for Children. In September 2021, he walked from Daisy Lodge in Newcastle, County Down, to the site of a new centre in Kong, County Mayo, raising over £800,000. Rory and Naomi were cheered on by cries in the sunshine as they took their first steps on the long walk to Kong, County Mayo. The final destination on Thursday next week is the site where the Cancer Fund for Children hopes to develop a new therapeutic short break centre, Daisy Lodge in Kong. Best admitted he was feeling nervous about 100 metres into the journey, but took comfort in the support he will be given along the way. That support came in the form of local residents and school children cheering him on, as well as dozens of fellow travellers behind him, including members of the Defence Forces marching in step. Members of the public are invited to donate through rorysmiles2mayo.com. Local charity, just to chat, set up to raise awareness and combat the stigma of mental health for youths, cycled 282 miles to raise funds at a special event in Portadown's ASDA. The team aimed to cycle 237 miles, one mile for every suicide recorded in Northern Ireland in 2021, but managed to cycle an extra few miles with clocking up 282. The, Connor Hegarty said, We had great support on the day from local kids, football clubs, charities, youth groups and much more. Also, we had competitions open to all local clubs and groups and it was a wonderful day. Next, a new app will help patients. Achna Galvin Hospital has become the first hospital in Northern Ireland to offer critical care patients, their families and staff, the opportunity to test out a new lip reading app. The recently launched research study 
led by Queen's University Belfast, is currently underway in the critical care unit within the hospital. Critical care patients are often rendered suddenly voiceless due to the insertion of a tracheotomy tube. Loss of voice is recognised as one of the most stressful events during admission, with patients describing frustration, panic and a sense of powerlessness. Trust. The research is being driven forward by Western Health and Social Care Trust. Staff nurse Carla McClintock. Carla said, as an ICU nurse, my clinical practice allows me to see firsthand the experience of tracheotomy patients. I have also been that patient myself, lying awake and alert in an ICU bed, but terrified by being unable to speak. Indeed, it is my own lived experience of having had a tracheotomy that really drives my motivation for this project. Armagh City, Banbridge and Craigavon Borough Council's planners are currently considering an application seeking permission to extend a pharmaceutical warehouse in Craigavon. Lodged by Agent HPA Architecture Limited on behalf of the applicant Almac Group, the application seeks permission to erect a two-storey extension to an existing pharmaceutical warehouse to include a PPE area, freezer units, associated site works and roof-mounted services at Almac Building 15 at Sego Industrial Estate. According to the application form, the site is current in use as green space and pedestrian service access to the existing Almac Building 15. The extension will be supplied with water via the mains and any surface water presented will be disposed of via the existing storm drainage system with foul sewage also disposed of via the mains. A police investigation is underway after a Magabri man died at the scene of a recent single vehicle traffic collision in the Moira Road area of Glenavy. A spokesperson from the Collision Investigation Unit said, Police received a report shortly after 10.50pm on Friday the 12th of May that a pedestrian had been involved in a collision with a Volvo XC90 car. The man has been named as 22-year-old Jordan Nixon from the Moira area. Officers, along with colleagues from other emergency services, attended. Sadly, Mr Nixon died at the scene. A full investigation is underway and we are appealing to anyone who was travelling in the Moira Road area around this time and date and who has dash cam footage to contact the Collision Investigation Unit on 101 and quote reference number 2353 of 12 And so we have come to the end of our recording for this week. And didn't there seem to be a lot of crime? Our thanks to the team of volunteers who edited and recorded, and to Mackles for collecting the Portadown Times and Lurgan Mail for us, and to the Presbyterian Church for the use of the studio. Editing the news this week was Paul and Ken, our technician was Michael, and reading with me was Jackie. So... From the newsroom at the Old Manse, this is Team 3 signing off. Again, we thank you for spending time with us and all our good wishes for the week ahead. 
Our team should be back with you in four weeks' time. And can I remind you, please return your wallet. Good night. everybody, it's good to have your company. In a few moments, Portadown members of Business and Professional Women Northern Ireland, joined by members of Seroptimus International Portadown, will record the May 2023 edition of the Science Friendly Talking Magazine. From the heart of Portadown, with assistance from our many volunteers at the Old Man Studio, Church Street, you're listening to Craig Avon Talking Newspaper, a registered charity with over 40 local volunteers who help out each month. So before we start, a reminder of some housekeeping. Um, having listening, listened to our news and magazine, you're reminded to promptly return the recording you're listening to now in the padded wallet provided with it. Please enclose any comments about the service our volunteers provide in writing along with the USB pen drive. And of course, to guarantee a prompt delivery of your next edition, please remember to reverse the address label before setting off for the postbox. This week, we feature Ellie Goulding uh, CD uh, called Delirium for our Song of the Week and some extracts from recent UK and Irish newspapers, magazines and so much more. BPW and Mandy from Seroptimus and John here of course our technician recording away so it seems we're just chatting here and it's been absolutely ages since we've been here we think Mandy and I last did the talking newspaper in the dark and then I fell over my feet in December and broke my leg so I have been out of action from then so I'm just up and about and still traveling a bit by train and a bit by car in the meantime 
So I've got some interesting bits and pieces here about some things that happened in May because we've had a very busy May already. We've had a coronation. We've had a Eurovision Song Contest. And whichever floats your boat, you never know. So here are some things that happened in May in the past. And this is out of my favourite magazine, Ireland's Own. So the 2nd of May in 1923, the Irish Independent reported an extraordinary shooting near Brookborough in County Fermanagh. After midnight, several men called at the house of Patrick Gilroy, a Catholic employed as a ganger on the Clocker Valley Railway. They knocked on the door and asked Gilroy's daughter to send her father out as they were under the crown. When Patrick went to the door, several shots rang out as the men fired over Gilroy's head, lodging a bullet in the woodwork of the door. As the men ran away, the matter was reported to the Royal Ulster Constabulary. It was detailed that Gilroy had also received a threatening letter warning him to prepare his coffin. Subsequently, a Protestant man miles away in Gilroy's gang was dismissed, which is believed to be related to the incident reported by the Independent. Another interesting thing that happened on the 9th of May 1913, at the city sessions in Dublin, Lawrence Brophy and Francis Clancy, both stonecutters, sued the Bricklayer Society by their secretary, Richard Carroll, for £50 damages for having wrongfully and maliciously and with intent to injure the plaintiffs, having coerced a Mr Schofield to end their employment. Simply, it was a case between the Stonecutters Union of Ireland and the Bricklayer Society as to the right of one trade or the other to work on the composition known as Bump Click. Schofield had employed the men to work at the Rings End Bottle Works before Carol went there and said if the stonecutters continued to work there, a strike would be declared by the bricklayers. One witness said that such work had been done since 17, no, 1872 by stonecutters. The action was dismissed by the recorder, who hoped both groups would com- compromise and cooperate as there was little enough employment in the city and labour disputes were only calculated to send employment elsewhere. Certainly interesting times. The 10th of May in 1898, two men, John Sullivan and William Langtree, were treated at South Infirmary in Cork for injuries sustained by losing control of a rope attached to a bull of which they were in charge. The bull attempted to get away from its restraints while the men, in their effort to control the animal, were brought to the ground. This resulted in Sullivan dislocating his shoulder and Langtree suffering a broken collarbone. So be careful where you take your cows and bulls on the way out. Twelfth of May, nineteen twenty-three, on Saturday night, on the arrival of the eight thirty p.m. train from Dublin and Nina, an infant was found wrapped in a shawl in one of the carriages. The Cork Examiner later reported that it was taken to the workhouse, and no trace of its mother has been discovered. It's not really sad. And the last one here of these, the thirty-first of May, nineteen thirteen, the Anglo Celt reported on a special court in Bally Bay where a widow was charged with being a dangerous lunatic. Mrs Lennon had apparently jumped out a window and jumped into a bog hole in Drumgulla when she was pulled out of it by two men. She said she didn't fear the men, or she didn't fear the men and was certified to be in good health by a Dr Hunter. She was subsequently discharged with a caution. So there you go. She wasn't mad after all. Looking at the weather, you'd wonder about anything coming near summer, but it is May and we are getting that direction. So I've got another little piece here called An Old Summer Meadow by Patrick O'Sullivan. 
And it says, is there anything lovelier, more evocative of summer than the sound of a cuckoo? I thought of this of late when I heard him calling somewhere far off in the grove by the river. I couldn't see him, of course, but I pictured him there, perched among the branches, his head and upper parts the softest of greys, his underparts white and barred. His calling was wonderfully soft and muffled. Everything about it like an echo of summers long ago, when life was young and full of promise and every day was an adventure. I haven't heard a cuckoo in years, have you? Uh, no, I haven't. Well, no, no, a real one, I don't uh, think so. No, no. I used to hear them. But anyway, of course, we were told of the female's practice of laying her egg in the nest of another species, the meadow pipit being one of her favourite hosts. We sometimes wondered why the meadow pipit couldn't distinguish between the cuckoo's large egg and her own egg, but apparently she couldn't. Cuckoos fly low, the wing beats fast and shallow, but when a cuckoo lands on a perch, it allows the wings to droop, raising the tail and splaying the feathers to reveal the white tips. One of great attractions of the cuckoo's call is very hard to pin down. We hardly know from what direction, let alone what place it is coming. It was no wonder then that words were throat. O blithe newcomer, I have heard, I hear thee and rejoice. O cuckoo, shall I call thee bird, or but a wandering voice? As children, too, we heard of the scaravine, which is an anglicised version of the Irish phrase, the rough weather of the cuckoo. The scaravine, which lasts from mid-April to mid-May, is still widely spoken of in country places, and according to tradition is nature's retribution on the cuckoo, for all of the trouble it causes by laying its eggs in the nests of other birds. The sun was shining as though I walked in the old country meadow, stopping now and then as I did to listen to the cuckoo. As the poet W.H. Davis put it, the heat and heat the pleasant cuckoo loud and long, the simple bird that thinks two notes a song. Not sure that wasn't meant to be here, but anyway, I think it's a misprint. The meadow had been left its own devices. Artificial fertilisers never spread on down the years. It was what some botanists and ecologists would call unimproved. It was no wonder then it was teeming with flowers of all kind. Chief among it, the cuckoo flower or lady smock, which seemed more appropriate then. Here was another evocation of the summers of old, if ever there was one. The pale lilac flowers dabbled here and there in damp grasses. The cuckoo flower is a food plant for the caterpillars of the orange tip butterfly. Another reason to like it and appreciate it. I thought of all those who surely admired its flowers in the meadow down the years, and so I wasn't alone. Rather, I was part of a long continuum of those who had forged a bond with nature. The blackbird singing in the hedge gave way to the cuckoo for a while. It was as if the stranger's soft and muffled calls had taken him by surprise. But even so, his surprise was short-lived his fluty tones, rich and throaty, soon filling the hedgerow again. Violets grew in mossy banks and flowers set among long-stalked heart-shaped leaves. Meanwhile, under the hedge, a patch of yellow archangel, the two-lipped flowers partially hooded and fringed. Alternative English uh, name for this is yellow dead nettle, simply because the leaves, toothed and oval, are nettle-like in appearance. I thought of an old neighbour who had a patch of it in his garden. People were telling him it was very evasive, but he didn't mind. He liked the flowers and that was all that mattered. He couldn't understand the impulse to have everything neat and tidy in the garden. A little bit of wildness never went amiss, he said. 
The plant under the hedge of variegated leaves, something which suggests it may have been a garden escapee. Shafts of sunlight falling in the flowers make them look yellow. The cuckoo still calling far off and the fluty notes of the blackbird closer to home. The merry month of May has many delights, but none lovelier than the voice of the cuckoo, the voice of summer, the old country meadow flecked with colour to welcome him back once more. It was quite some time before I left the meadow at last, closing the gate behind me and heading away again, my thoughts still full of the cuckoo and the flowers and all that they were. Uh, there's another article about um, about the countryside and particularly about um, our heavenly hedgerows within the countryside. Our, our, I'm sure you know the beautiful countryside boundaries are coming into bloom and into flower this time of year. Um, and they're also a haven for wildlife too. And nothing sums up spring better than a lush hedge grow dotted with flowers, buzzing with insects and chirping with birdsong. As well as hosting a rich and varied mix of flora and fauna, hedgerows provide a life support system for an abundance of different creatures. One study recorded more than 2,000 different species in just 85 metres of hedgerow in Devon. And according to the RSPB, hedges may support up to 80% of our woodland birds, half of all mammals and 30% of butterflies. So as the days brighten, so do our hedgerows. From a nodding bluebell to buttery primroses and red campion, hedges provide glorious tapestries of colour not only to enjoy but are for our wildlife. Hedgerows flowers belonging to the cow parsley family, such as wild angelica, hogweed, water dropworts and wild carrot are particularly beneficial since their large flower heads are often laden with nectar providing a magnet for pollinating insects. Hedgerow herbs and shrubs also provide a handy snack for farm animals and can even be a source of natural medicine. Cows and sheep for example are known to munch on the rough leaves of plants like hogweed to get rid of parasitic worms. Enormous 70% of our landscape is made up of farmland, so hedgerows are often the only available home for huge numbers of invertebrates, small mammals, reptiles, amphibians, including grass snakes, common lizards, slow worms, hedgerows, hedgehogs, voles and shrews. These populations in turn provide food for other creatures like barn owls and kestrels, as well as weasels and stoats. You may be able you, you may not be able to tell just by looking at one, but hedges act as an animal highways, making it much easier for creatures like bats and dormice to move freely and safely across the countryside to roost, breed and, breed and forage. However, sadly, since World War II, far more hedgerows have been removed and planted due to development, modern farming methods and poor management. In some parts of the country, 50% of hedgerows have disappeared, contributing to the steep decline of many plants and animal species. Fortunately, hedgerows are now legally recognised as sites of biodiversity and there are grants available to encourage their planting and protection. I've got another little bit about something growing, about the apple in folklore and with County Antrim, or County Antrim, County Armagh. You see, I'm away back to Moritz. I've moved to County Antrim now. I'm only a blow into Armagh these days. Um, with County Armagh being synonymous with apples and bramleys, this is an interesting little bit. 
The apple with its beautiful blossoms and nourishing fruit is a symbol of the delights of the other world and of fertility, replenishment and healing. The Irish god of the sea, Mananan Maclare, lived in a beautiful underworld region which was located in different places called the Pleasant Land, the Land of Promise or the Region of Apples, an island full of trees bearing the most beautiful golden apples. Trips by mortals to the eternal realm are the subjects of various tales and in the best of these, uh, Mananan appears to Cormac McGirt, the uh, High King at Tara, as a warrior carrying on his shoulder a branch with nine apples of reddish gold. When the branch was shaken, the music the apples made was so beautiful that the listeners would forget all their troubles and tiredness. In another tale, a fairy woman from the Land of Promise appears to Conla and presents him with an apple. Conla lived off the apple for a month, taking no other food or drink, and despite his constant eating the apple, it grew no smaller in size. At the end of the month, when the woman returned, Conla sailed away with her forever. A later tale describes the adventures of the hero in the other world, where he met Conla and the fairy woman on the island where the apple tree, which produced the everlasting apple, grew. There are several examples of saints being associated with apple trees. The story about St Colmkill tells of an apple tree at the monastery in Duro, which had been bearing bitter fruit. At the saint's command, it changed and bore sweet apples from then on. St Bridget, on the other hand, cursed an apple tree which had been fruitful, making it barren. However, she, cha- she blessed an older tree, changing its warlike nature so that it bore fruit, two-thirds apple and one-third slow. The apple features in many folk tales. One of them concerns uh, a hero called Blamen, son of Apple, who is conceived when his mother, a princess, plucks the only apple from a tree and ate it. He is born with a silver spot on his paw and a silver spot on his forehead and was very beautiful in form. Apples, like hazelnuts, have royal associations. Angus, son of the main god Dacha, had three sons. And when he left them, he bade them to bring with them three apple trees from a nearby grove, one in full bloom, one shedding its blossom and one covered with ripe fruits. In his royal home of the Red Branch, he had a silver rod with three golden apples on it and when he shook the rod or struck it, all in the house would be silent. The apple is also associated with fertility. At Cirencester in in Britain, a stone statue from Celtic times depicts a seated mother goddess with three apples in her lap as a symbol of fertility, while one in a stoke depicts a goddess holding a box of apples in front of her. The story from folklore is related in Ducas goes as follows. Long ago, there were three brothers. Their names were Brian, Irk and Urcher. The King of Ireland sent for them and he told them there were magic apples growing in the garden in Hesperia, and they should go to the garden and bring him three of the apples. They said they would and they set out across the sea to get the apples. It was very hard to get them as there were soldiers guarding them. But when the boys came to the garden, they left their boats, changed themselves into hooks and flew to the apple tree and they flew down to take the apples. When the soldiers saw them, they threw their spears at them, but the hawks escaped the blows until all the spears were gone. And then they flew down and got the apples and flew back to their boat and changed themselves into men again and returned the apples to the king. In Irish folklore, the wild apple was the sacred chieftain tree and it cut 
and to cut it down without permission engendered a hefty penalty. It was often associated with the other world and the apples were commonly found buried with the dead. The Celts believed the apple to be associated with rebirth and were said to bury apples in graves as food for the dead, a practice that is shown to date back over 7,000 years to Europe and West Asia, where petrified remains of sliced apple have been found in tombs from 5,000 BC. The common apple, as we, no- as we know now, was most likely introduced to this area of the world by the Romans, so Celtic lore, when it speaks of apple, would all, in all likelihood mean crab apple. And crab apples were known as wild apples in Ireland and were listed as one of the seven nobles of the wood, believed to be an important food source since humans first set foot in the country.
from track six, that was Ellie Goulding, Delirium, and the song was Around You. Okay, and this is John Harkness here, just in case you're wondering. Um, I have to say, very good of Jackie to come down tonight. Um, she came down on the train from beyond Ballymena uh, and is away to get the train now. The funny thing is, last night I was doing this uh, Primrose had to go and get a train as well, <laughs> so there seems to be a theme of people getting the half-eight train to Belfast to go somewhere else. Well, completely left turn from what we've been looking at earlier um, in the countryside, looking at our health and well-being and some solutions for your mind and body. There's a wee article I thought was quite useful. It was the best, way, the best steps to help ease anxiety from a psychotherapist so anxiety often flares up when you believe something terrible is going to happen and you won't be able to cope presenting worst case scenarios and preventing rational thoughts from prevailing but no amount of excessive worrying will prepare you for what will or will not happen the key is to challenge those thoughts ground yourself with a simple breathing exercise breathe in for a count of four hold for two and breathe out for a count of six. It will activate your parasympathetic nervous system, which helps relax your fight, flight or fight response. Catch, challenge and change your thoughts into something more helpful. Establish a good nighttime routine. Don't be watching anything too stimulating or frightening and turn off your phone and social media for at least an hour before bedtime to avoid anything that may spike your anxiety and cause your mind to wander. Try meditation and breath work for grounding yourself at the beginning and the end of each day. Keep one small promise to yourself that helps build your level of self-trust. It could be something small and practical. The main thing is to commit to getting it done so you can begin to rely on your ability to handle things. Move more. Using your body does wonders for your mental and your physical well-being. And stay connected to friends and family. Nurture relationships that add to your quality of life. Set goals for 2023. Learn a new skill. Discover somewhere new or get in better shape. Putting your goals down on paper also gives you something tangible to focus on and look forward to. Right, and now something that which was originally in the Irish News, Saturday the 22nd of April 2023, and it's about a local a barbecue business. It's called Holy Smokes Barbecue Shack, and it's 92 Drumnessoo Road, Portadown, bt 62 EX and I understand that is behind the lawnmower place uh, on the Armagh Road as you drive towards Armagh from Portadown and I haven't been but it gets a good name so I'll read out what the Irish News Irish News has to say about it uh, the American barbecue is one of the most of those cuisines whose best examples can usually be found in less unlikely surroundings, a street corner in a suburb of Kansas City, down the back of a petrol station off a Texas road in a nondescript building that doubles as a post office way off the beaten track somewhere in Carolinas. It's also a cuisine that can be maddeningly difficult to find, even just good examples of on this side of the Atlantic. You get high quality, authentic, whatever that actually means, offerings, 
of more and more food from around the world, with the United States more than well represented, whether that's as burgers, chicken wings, Mexican fusion, or particularly American styles of pizza. But the barbecue that means slowly smoked treats rather than grilled sausages and burgers punches way below its weight. Yes, the likes of pulled pork, ribs and brisket crop up regularly on menus, but it's usually in places that don't specialise in these things, which becomes pretty obvious when you try it. Part of the reason is that the barbecue done properly takes quite a lot of effort and the huge smokers you need to chug away for days on end to produce the good stuff in any sort of volume are no small commitment. Really, you want to be fitting your smoker first, then building everything else around it. And that's what Tom Quinn has done, and he's done it in this sort of unlikely locale that's benefiting of as good an example of American barbecue, barbecue classics as you'll find anywhere here. To find them, you need to turn off the main carriageway between Portadown and Armagh, head up a country road and turn into a yard dotted with trailers, shed and a tractor parked in the corner. You'll also find Holy Smokes. The appropriately named barbecue shack, the pastor at Marantha Church in Armagh, has used to turn a back garden pastime into a thriving enterprise. The shack started by serving up takeaway before adding picnic tables that then made their way inside the No Frills building with orders receiving received and dispatched through a window before being taken home by the patient or hungrily polished off then and there. Though the portions are so generous, only the true heroes among those sitting in won't have plenty to box up and bring home anyway. The smashed burgers are pro- proving popular elsewhere in the shack, while every so often glorious-looking specials pop up like duck burgers or lamb kebabs or steaks bobbing around in a vat of butter. <laughs> but the, the heart of the menu is the cornerstones of the American barbecue, and all those platters come with classic sides you'd expect as well. The cornbread is a little sweet, a little grainy, and just right, while burnt end baked beans bring more sweetness and a suggestion of smoke, and along with the cornbread would make a lovely meat-free dinner by themselves. If it weren't for those burnt ends, the scraps of brisket that give a clue to the treat, the great treat you're in for when you get to all the meat. Mac and cheese with much more of a cheesy bite to it than you usually blandly get, and dirty corn laced with coriander. A warning would have been nice given the herbs divisiveness, but good if you like that sort of thing. And then crisp and hot fries can be added to as part of the extremely reasonable prices given the quality and quantity. Or they're added to as great slabs and slices of meat, treat it with utmost respect. The beef short ribs, the brisket and pork ribs all boast the, the telltale smoke ring and surface bark that gives way to flesh falling apart. The brisket is the most refined, juicy and beefy. The slices don't need sweet, sharp sauce they've been basted in, but welcome it all the same. The short rib is crusted black without a hint of burnt flavour, and the prehistoric bone comes away by just looking at it. The pork ribs and the particularly meaty St. Louis, cut from the belly, or maybe it's a St. Louis, 
are the size of a a phone book from the glory days of phone books. When all is said and done, three meals come out of them. As we leave the queue, it's threatening to stretch out the door. It's a wonder it's not all the way back to Port Design. If they knew about those ribs in St. Louis, there's a chance it could start over here. And the prices are given here. Holy smokes, barbecue shack. Um, they are on Facebook. So the total is $49.97. So the ribs platter, $14.99. The brisket platter, $14.99. The beef shorts ribs platter, $19.99. So something... Uh, to consider if you like that sort of thing. So it's that time of year again for television awards. And last night the BBC hosted the BAFTA Awards 2023. Um, the reality competition series, The Traitors, and its mm-hmm. host, Claudia Winkleman, were among the big TV winners at the BAFTAs. Did you watch that, John? Did you? I didn't. Yes. <laughs> Brilliant, wasn't it? Uh-huh. The show, which uh, has players murder each other in a Scottish castle developed a cult following after it's launched in November last year. Derry Girls and Bad Sisters won the TV top TV prizes while Ben Whislaw and Kate Winslet were among acting winners. But Winkleman's other series, Strictly Come Dancing, lost out to the mass singer for Best Entertainment Show. The ceremony, which was hosted by comedians Rob Beckett and Ramesh Ragnanathan, took place at last on Sunday, last night at London's Royal Festival Hall. Um, other winners included a documentary about Sir Mo Farah, which revealed the athlete had been illegally trafficked to the UK as a child, and a special edition of the repair shop, which featured King Charles, was named the best daytime TV programme. Presenter Jay Blade said it was the first time that a six-foot black guy from Hackney Goldtooth single parent had been presented for an award for a daytime TV show. Asked about Richard Osmond's suggestion that the daytime category should be expanded to include more programmes, he told the BBC News, if BAFTA can do it, it'd be brilliant, but it's way above my pay grade. Kate Winslet won the Best Leading Actress for her performance in I Am Ruth about a mother and her teenage daughter. The star who acted opposite her daughter said small British television dramas can be mighty and mental health stories such as this one need to be heard. She added, if I could break it in half, I would give the other half to my daughter, Mia Threepleton. We did this together. Winslet held off competition from Sarah Lancashire, who was nominated for her performance in HBO's Julia. The most recent series of her hit police drama, Happy Valley, was broadcast too late to be eligible this year. Sharon Horgan, whose Apple TV series Bad Sisters won Best Drama, used part of her acceptance speech to say she stands in solidarity with the current writer's strike taking place in the, new, in the US. Derry Girls was named Best Scripted Comedy and the show's star Siobhan McSweeney won Best Female Comedy Performance for her performance as Sister Michael in, in Channel 4's comedy series. She joked, as my mother lay dying in Cork, one of the very last things she said to me was, would I not consider retraining as a teacher? If she could see me now getting a BAFTA for playing a teacher, the joke's on you. James Bond and Paddington star Whistlaw collected his best leading actor for his performance as an under-pressure doctor in the BBC 
series, This Is Going To Hurt, based on the best-selling memoirs. On stage, the 42-year-old actor said, Everybody in the show is just mind-blowing. And most of all, thank you, Adam Kay, for writing this wonderful role. Mo Farah won the single documentary prize for the real Mo Farah, which revealed the Olympic gold medalist had been illegally trafficked to the UK as a child. He dedicated the award to children who are being trafficked. Sir Mo said, The kids have no say at all. They are just kids and no child should ever go through what I did. I hope my story shows they aren't alone and we are in this together. In memoriam section paid tribute to TV stars who have passed on in the last year, including talk show host Jerry Springer, Strictly Come Dancing judge Len Goodman, presenter and drag queen Paul O'Grady, and Doctor Who star Bernard Cribbins and Dame Edna Average star Barry Humphreys. The Masked Singer beat Alton Deck's Saturday Night Takeaway and Strictly Come Dancing to win the Best Entertainment Programme. And Joel Hummett, who collected the prize, was said that we're surprised to win, describing the show as so silly and so wonderful. It has brightened up so many families. Lenny Rush, the 14-year-old actor who starred opposite Daisy May Cooper in Am I Being Unreasonable, said he was over the moon to win Best Male Performance in a Comedy Programme. The most memorable moment award went to Paddington Burr having tea with the late Queen during the Platinum Jubilee party at the Palace celebrations. Winkleman also won Best Entertainment Performance commenting that she did not want to get emotional because her eyeliner would run. She also thanked her mother and father and said that the award was for you. But it's not often Ant and Dex get beaten in things. So. Exactly. <laughs> I think they thought that they were going to win it and uh, something out completely from left field won it. Uh, you know, you, you kind of expected them to win it, but not this year. The Masked Singer is an American thing that's been brought over here, which probably makes it worse. <laughs> yeah, I was surprised, actually, mm. but they're, well, I mean, Ant and Dex, maybe. Uh, <laughs> maybe they're time somebody else won something now i have been reading you uh, poems from martin grimley you may remember that he is a poet who writes about porter down and many of the things are published on facebook and sometimes on the porter down back in the day site as well so this one is from the 3rd of february it's me sitting there making excuses curtains closed looking around Forcing yourself to move, rays of sunlight, do I have to? Sunlight casting shadows on the wall, knowing it's morning. Phone starts ringing out of nowhere, breaking the silence, heart pumping, who can it be? People surround themselves with smiling faces as they pass by. I thought and smiled back, do they know? Lonely road I need to get off. I drop me here. I know I... I, I think I know some of them. How much is that, mate? There's the key in the door. Turns it, sigh of relief. Silence again. Young lovers strolling past my window. Clickety-clack of the high heel. Shoes hitting the ground. The ported iron air coming through the window. What about you, big man? Thoughts of 15 opens avenue. But let me tell you, I'm very happy. Never lonely. When I think of ported down, my face smiles. To all my family and friends. And from the 24th of January, thought of you today, Dad. 
the 24th of January 1984, he died in hospital. Memories drift into my mind when I see my pigeon dad. My face starts to smile, racing pigeons every Saturday out the back, shaking a tin with pigeon beans. Come on, boy, come on, come on, come on, shaking the tin. Never seen him as proud when the pigeon won the Skibbereen Derby. Loved Sunday when he looked, took me and my younger brother Padro a walk along the old railway line before the Sunday dinner, running in front gathering dandelions for the canaries and the pinks, looking down from the old Ballybay Railway Bridge, throwing sticks into the Ballybay River below, watch them float to the other side, the sun splitting the trees, eating wild blackberries from overhanging hedges along the side of the old railway line. Sometimes Dad stopped to listen to the, the wild birds. He even knew what types of birds sung. Thank you, Dad, for this, these memories. 21st of the 4th, 1984. Thought of you today, Dad. And so there seems to be a theme here of birds. And I can tell you, I would, this, uh, someone who I, I went to Rittle Agriculture College in Essex, and there were quite a few Northern Ireland people there. And I must say, if somebody told me that I was going to wake up and I'd be in the queue for in the corridor in Rittle Agriculture College and I had to start the whole thing again, it would actually be... <laughs> I'd be very pleased. Oh, to be young and thin and stupid again, that would be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so this uh, this girl, so this lady from uh, Ballymoney would come down to me the odd time, and I had said to her as a cheeky comment, would text her quite a lot, cheeky comment that everybody goes to Port Stewart, uh, she lives in Ballymoney, and that she should come down to me. And I would show her a good time in County, when it's Banbridge, County Down. And I didn't think she would come, I have to say, but she did. And it was at a stage when I had just moved into, well, been in the house a while, but there were still boxes sitting about. And anyway, she came down to me in a very stressed state because she has elderly parents. And anyway, she stared over and I warned her that she must keep her bedroom door closed because I have a white cat who's very mischievous and jumps on top of you in the middle of the night. And I knew she just wasn't up to it. It was a third. <laughs> so um, she, anyway, I brought the cat into my bedroom and you know, made sure the door was closed and all the rest of it. And she had <laughs> her door but you know, um, what would you say? Well, secure. And um, then in the morning, she said, "You know, there's a funny sound of a bird. Um, really odd." And I had forgotten. I have one of those clocks above the guest bedroom. Good idea, I must say. And you know, it plays the cuckoo one hour, and then the. I don't know the yellow hammer the next. So, and of course, because it's there, I don't notice it. Uh, but she was most concerned about the bird that was making the noise. And then, um, and we were bringing her out for a drive to Carlingford, which she loved. And the cat hid under her bed then. Because <laughs> the guest room has one of those four legged beds with, you know, and then I slid a drawer in underneath it. 
So anyway, things that happen. So I must say, it is nice to have the birds. Um, I have an, use an air fryer a lot, uh, and I do have a George Foreman, which I used to be a big fan of. And uh, do you have one? No, never have one, but big fan of air fryers. Uh -huh. Absolutely. So then the George Foreman, you have this revolting tray at the front of it, and it fills up with fat. So I was scraping it out, and I, and I put it on a shed roof and the birds seem to oh, be idea. very fond of it. Anyway, I shall over to you again, Mandy. <laughs> okay, this is just a, a, a little article on music, finding, finding life in music and how the right tunes can help people reconnect. We all know that music, that the right music can help to improve our mood, and this is backed up by science. When we listen to happy music, we like our brain releases the feel-good neutron transmitter dopamine. It's also a powerful medium for foraging emotional connections, both with others and with our own distant memories. Among those who benefit the most are people with dementia, many of whom are gaining a new lease of life from music-based initiatives. Music is calming. It can also contribute to how people relate to each other. And as a way of interacting when language is gone, says Professor Helen Miller, Director of Cambridge Institute for Music Therapy. The Playlist for Life charity aims to give all those with dementia a unique personal playlist that can be played easily by anyone who loves and cares for them. Formed in 2013 by a writer and broadcaster following the death of her mother who had dementia, Playlist for Life offers tips to those affected by the condition and their carers on creating an ideal playlist, whether you prefer the old familiarity of an old school cassette deck, an MP3 player, or a subscription-based streaming service like Spotify, plus where to find all those tunes. Playlist for Life's website also has a list of dementia-friendly MP3 players from about £15. So how can music help? According to a 2019 World Health Organization report, listening to music that is personally meaningful has proven psychological benefits. So a personalized playlist can reduce anxiety, improve your mood, make difficult tasks more manageable, which is good for everybody, <laughs> evoke memories that can help families and carers connect. looking for any inspiration a sing-along cd is available from the alzheimer's society online shop for 10 pounds and contains 21 well-loved songs including john brown's body my bonnie lies over the ocean i love a lassie men of harlech the white cliffs of dover and old lang syne <laughs> Right, and now reading from a lovely Jimmy Jennings book, The Memories We Shared. And this time it's from page 90. And it's Today's Schools by Jonathan Doonan. The world of today is so different to the world of my grandfather, Harry's, for instance. Let us look at the education aspect. The schools are so different. Gone are the days of one or two rooms when the heating had to be provided by one's parents. Nowadays, central heating, comfortable furniture and well-lit rooms. Teachers can now be more approachable and even quite friendly to the children. I'm pleased to be able to say that during these past 12 months, the teachers are great and so very helpful in understanding. However, I did not always find this. I think that smaller numbers in the classes give both teacher and pupil a real chance 
to get to know each other better. And this avoids pressure on the child and the teacher. Free health services make everything much easier for the poor children, for example. The spectacle incident would never take place now. Free meals are still available for the needy. Every child gets an equal opportunity to get to university and it is their decision to take the chance. But grants are there to help them through. Children too get £7.25 weekly children's allowance. Some of my friends have requested that we use their Christian name only in the school section of the book. This we have done and the views on school life are from their own personal experiences. Question, what do you think of this section? Too many repeats? Uh, um, wordy or want much on the one school and not enough on the other? Certainly has mentioned other schools here. I agree, but I'm, not af I'm afraid not a lot we can do about it as it was down to the person involved in the writing of their particular school. So we hope that you've enjoyed it from Jimmy Jennings. Now, uh, trip to the Warren Point and Omeath. On uh, Wednesday the 2nd of August, my school friend Noel and I decided to do something we had not done for many years, and that was visit Omeath by boat. The weather was just beautiful and the mountains of Morn. The sight of them was just breathtaking. The sun, the sea, the mountains, just perfect, and it was to be our day. The boat was sailing from Warren Point to Omeath every 20 minutes, so Noel, Dickie and I made our way down to climb on board, uh, and in the gentle breeze there, right before our eyes, was the well-known trademark of the Red Star. My, the memories came flooding back. I could almost see and hear my parents and friends and all the laughter and the colour of those years so long ago. The cry of, hi, mister, wait a minute, I am going too. And the shout of the crowd, climb aboard, love. In the boat with us on that Wednesday in August, just a young courting couple that brought back many memories to myself when I was young. A married couple by the name of John and Mary Mack. Mary told me that they had come from Glasgow and that she had been coming to the point for her holidays since she was a little girl. But it was her husband's, John's, first visit. We got into conversation with the owner of the Red Star Boat, a man by the name of Chris D. McGuigan, and his, hands, and his grandson, Shay McStay, who lived at the point, Warren Point, that is. When I told them what I intended to do, then the story started to roll of the day trippers. Christy told me that he was in the business for more years than that he cared to remember. Then he introduced me to Mr. Patrick O'Neill, whose family circle had been in the business all their lives. Patrick told me that his family had been there, had been the first to introduce a motorboat to the crossing, as up to then the boats had all been steam driven. And when Christy and Patrick started to unfold their stories, I could have filled a book such as five shillings by train from Belfast to Warren Point and two and six from Portadown to Warren Point return. And this was all in the old days, no decimalisation in those days. The charge by boat from the point to Omeath was nine old pence return and children half price. Then it was raised to one and six children half price. Today the price is one pound return and children 50p. Now, I'll read some of this other... Uh, so it's then the Fairy Queen. Uh, with the well-known Chris T. O'Boyle at the helm, they could cater for 120 persons at a time, and the boat was used 
as at the evacuation of Dunkirk. The well-known Red Star combine was made of a group of small boats to combat the completion of the larger boats. Then the Durkin brothers, Brian and Matt, who had the diff difficult job as checkers and were responsible for all the tickets given out and money coming in. Of course, Bran was better known of the brothers due to his many television appearances. Um, then Stephen Bradley here says, known as the commander um, and the boss, he had under his charge 14 boats at one time. This Sunday thing to Carlingford, I'm saying Carlingford, Carlingford Peninsula was big business and it's, it was very popular. My mum and her brother, so Cherry Armstrong and her brother Billy Armstrong, they would have got the train from Armagh to Warren Point and taken the Omi ferry over. It was a big thing to do on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, so anyway, so the known as the commander and the boss, he had under his charge 14 boats at one time. Then there was the Tonelli family, and especially Father John, who was a character in his own right. This man was the owner of many boats, one being the St. George, which sailed between Warren Point on Meath and Carlingford. The music, the singing and the laughter, we all enjoyed such sheer magic all those years ago. Words fail me to try and express our gratitude to all these special people and families known to us as the boat people for all the precious memories we have and can share. We arrived safe and signed no me. We called it the gift shop known by John Byrne. It was always in the family, this lovely gift shop. John informed us that his father had a butcher shop next door for many years and did a roaring trade with all the day trippers. The jaunting cars, no day trip would be complete without a ride in one of those old jaunting cars up to Calvary, two shillings return. It was great fun. I was informed of two great characters in this business, one by the name of Jimmy Stewart and another with the nickname of Gronje. Please don't ask me to explain that one. They were great rivals but firm friends. It was said of them that half of the road belonged to Jimmy and the other half of the road belonged to Gronje. The pubs of Doyle's and Howie's, the hotels, the Central and the Strand are still there and have been known for as long as the ex-postman Stephen McAllister can remember, who has been a resident of Omeath for most of his life. Stephen is a lovely man to speak to, and we're thankful for all the information that he gave us. My, the pubs brought back a host of memories for me, and the old piano, the singing, the jokes, the crack, and the laughter, and the concerns of the locals for us. Now watch, you don't miss the last boat. Oh, such happy memories. So it was almost time to return to the point. Christy and Shay were waiting to take us back. My impression of our visit, well, Omeath has changed in some ways, but in other ways it remained much the same, and I knew it all those years ago. The people... Well, now, someone has rightly said that the, the Irish, both North and South, are the friendliest people in the world, and I would be inclined to agree. Uh, with the statement going to the evidence of our visit to Warren Point and Omeath on that August day. We left for home. Noel and I had a request in our ears. Why not come and see us again and write a book about the whole district? Much as I would like to, I am afraid that it would take a better man than me to do these lovely people and their beautiful surroundings justice. Um, and I should say, <laughs> um, I mean, you all know, the Jimmy Jennings books are from a long time ago, I'm saying the 1980s. 
So, you know, the context is from several decades ago. And I must say, I do like going to Carlingford. Um, and if I have visitors, um, it'd be a great thing to go to. Oh, Strandfield's Pizza Place. I don't know. Have you been to it? No. no. It's um, basically there's a lady sold strawberries beside the road for years. And then she has her own empire now. And it would be uh, similar to Dobie's in Lisbon, but nicer oh. and quainter. And they would do flowers. And it's, it's actually vegetarian or vegan. Oh, and very nice buns and so on. I th if you, I think in telling people that it is vegan is inclined to put people off it. Mm -hmm. um, but I think if you go not knowing it's vegan, you know there is plenty of nice food there. But if you go thinking you're going to get chicken and chips, you're <laughs> going to be disappointed. Anybody I've brought to it has been very pleased with it. And is it. that in Carlingford or in the way into Carlingford? Uh, as you drive down the over the border. Um, you take if you take left as you go off for Dundalk, and then you take the Carlingford Road from Dundalk. But it's the Carlingford Road on the south of the peninsula. You know uh, the way we yes. would go on the north of the. Um, yes. I mean the road loops yes. round anyway. Yes. Uh, and there's the Ballymac. A lot of people would know it as the Ballymac Hotel. Um, is opposite it, and. I would definitely recommend it. But, I mean, there would be 170 car parking spaces at this place in the middle of nowhere. And even if you go on a Monday morning, the car park is full. Good grief. Sounds, sounds like it's well worth a visit. Oh, yes. And then... The, um, What's it called again? Strandfields. Strandfields. And again, it, you'll get it on um, f Facebook. Um, so again, I've brought house guests and I've been very pleased with it. I brought my mum and Uncle Billy, who's, you know since passed but uh, mom, it was mum's 93rd birthday and he was 96 I brought them there and they had soup and so on and they were very pleased with it oh lovely then we got the Carlingford Ferry over to the other side and then I mean we had an awful lot of food in Strandfields mum announced from nowhere that we were going to the Genoa in Warren Point for sandwiches because that's what they did when they went there on their train uh, so I mean, we didn't. Need, I didn't need anything, but anyway, we made a eating frenzy. So we're just going to finish off with some of our our travel since we're sort of creeping into the summer holidays time, and we're all talking about staycations. And there's this wee article about Cornwall. Um, and um, whatever Cornwall has to offer. So whatever the time of year, West Cornwall is known as a haven for art enthusiasts, surfers and walkers. With its blue flag beaches and waters, it's no wonder St Ives is so popular. The town itself is a jumble of sweet cottages shuttered against the sea, local shops and artist studios. Combine that with top-notch accommodation and you've got all the makings of a perfect UK break. Since becoming a popular destination for modernist artists in the 1950s, painters and enthusiasts alike continued to flock to St Ives for its contemporary galleries and inspiring landscapes. A short walk along the Portmere Beach and you don't miss the largest and most striking of these galleries, Tate St Ives. 
enter through the iconic rotunda entrance and begin to wander through the exhibitions. Meander through the narrow streets full of art, stop for coffee and cake or lunch and return for the evening along the beach path. Well worth a visit is the home and unique gardens of artist Dame Barbara Hepworth, one of Britain's most important 20th century artists who made St Ives her home. You'll find sculptures as well. Visit on a bright and sun-filled day if you can and soak up the rays as you take in the abstract works. Cornwall has some of the best beaches in the land with a year-round dog-friendly Port Kidney Beach just a short drive or manageable walk away and an early morning stroll there to take in a breathtaking views is a must. A big plus for visiting the country out of season is that dogs can visit all of the beaches. Gwynthin, a family favourite where it's miles of golden sand and surf provides plenty of fun for nature lovers, bodies, body boarders and surfers. But if you just want to walk the dog or sit in the dunes, that's fine too. Right, so this, uh, that was a very quick hour. Our time is up. So from me, John Harkness, it's goodbye. And from... From me, Mandy Jones, um, goodbye. And from Jackie, who is on the train back to Ballymena, goodbye from her, in her, her on her behalf. And again, we'll leave you with some... Uh, what, I've not forgotten her name. Ellie Golding from Delirium. And we're playing the final track, 22, and it's called Outside.
Show you what it feels like. Oh.